No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck you from the Lord's hand. If you know the Lord is your Savior, Jesus Christ. As I said, it's good to be back here with our church family, and I missed you. I really did, and I missed being here through the week as well. I want to thank Brother Rick and Brother Brent and Brother Bill for the wonderful job uh, they did preaching while we were away. I got to hear Brother Brent. Uh, we got to hear him live. We were in a, on a bus last Sunday through spotty cell phone coverage. We were able to watch the service online, get to see all the singing and the preaching, and I appreciate uh, all that they did there. Um, we saw literally a thousand years of history uh, while we were on the trip. Most of the trip was Paul's second missionary journey. So we were in chapters, Acts chapter 16, 17, 18, and 19 uh, throughout the trip, the different areas we went to. We got to see Philippi, uh, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, Rome, and then we also got to see the island of Crete and Patmos. Uh, the big difference between the Holy Lands, going to see the Holy Lands and going to see where uh, Paul was, is when you go to Israel, uh, they tell you uh, that it was in this area. There's no exact spot where certain things are. And I think that's probably in, by the intention of the Lord, else we would set up things that, we would, that would take us away from worshiping Him and worshiping a spot. Uh, but So you typically just know the area. But where we're on the footsteps of Paul, there's some exact spots we know that he was. In fact, if you put up the first picture there, this is the Bema seat in Corinth. We know Paul was there. We know that he was brought there uh, to be under, uh, to be tried, and instead, the guy who brought him Sosthenes uh, got beaten up instead. We, that little plaque in the middle of that second, the, the left side that says Bema, uh, in, in Greek, that's the Bema seat that you see in, in Corinth. Uh, we know uh, that when we go to Ephesus, the next picture there, the theater of Ephesus is still there today, where Demetrius caused an uproar because the, silver, the silversmiths were losing money because Paul had, had led so many people to the Lord that they were no longer worshiping Diana, and, the, the, and the, they were losing money from not selling their idols. And this is the theater that they took Gaius and Aristarchus into uh, in their pursuit of Paul. So we saw some exact spots. Uh, I took over 2,000 pictures. I like to take pictures. And uh, you take two or three because you never know which one's going to turn out. Uh, and we'll use those in the future. Do you give some visuals to help in our sermons? I promise, I promise not to be that annoying vacation guy that makes you look at all my pictures though, all right? I do promise you that. All right, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Chapter four. We find Jesus after his 40 days in the wilderness, and he has now entered into Nazareth, and he enters into the synagogue. And they deliver unto him, it tells us in verse 17, the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he sits down and he reads these verses out of Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ came to earth. Today we continue our series on God's eternal plan using the seven seas of history as our guide. And this week we come to 
Christ. Jesus Christ, our Savior. In fact, from the spot of the corruption that occurred in the Garden of Eden, all things have pointed to this point. Jesus Christ. In the beginning, we saw God's creation. The creation of God. God, who is love, decided to extend His love outside the Trinity to us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit created the world around us that culminated into the creation of man. This man became a living soul as God breathed into us. And he became a living soul that will live for how long? Eternity. A living soul that will live somewhere for eternity. Either heaven or hell. A body and a soul that were created in the image of God for the purpose of having a relationship with our Maker. Love poured out unto us. And it is in this love that God gives you worth and that God has given you purpose in life. But in this creation, as we learned, Eve was deceived. Adam sinned. And corruption came to God's design. It was at this moment that when that corruption occurred that sin entered the world. With that sin came death. Physical death. Spiritual death. To where that eternal soul would now be in a place called hell. A place that hell was not designed for. But yet that's where we that are dead in our sins will go. And the corruption brought disease. The corruption brought turmoil. It brought this not just upon the created being, but upon the natural world as well. The relationship with our Creator was broken. And man now had to look to God in faith, but yet we see few did. As Brother Brent showed us two weeks ago, men, instead of looking to the Lord, they looked to themselves. And sin grew. In Genesis 5, the last part of that verse says that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 6 goes on to tell us that it grieved God's heart. And God decided to reboot mankind. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we see catastrophe now that has come upon the world as God brings a worldwide flood. And while Noah is building the ark, he gives mankind a hundred years to turn to him, to repent, to turn to him in faith. But in the end, as we learned, it was only Noah and seven others of his family that entered into the ark. This worldwide flood drastically changed the landscape into what we see today. The world around us. It reduced the genetic pool of both man and the animal kingdom. And so Noah and his three sons and then his 16 grandsons begin to repopulate the new world. We can still trace our lineage back to these 16 grandsons of Noah. You can track back the names of our languages back to these 16 grandsons of Noah. But as Brent shared last week, the further we get from Noah, 
The same thing starts to happen. The more sin begins to grow. And the same desires that tempted Adam and Eve, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, they're still here today. And they were with the men and the women of that time. It's obvious that when all men are together, we strive and we head toward our desire of sin. So the Lord put confusion in the world by confusing the languages. It causes the people to disperse from those that are different from them. Even to this day, many people fear the unknown of another culture. They're opposed to people that speak or look differently than they do. And it is after this point of confusion that we see God begins to set up the arrival of Christ. From creation to confusion. Now those four instances that we've spoke about over the last four weeks are only covered in 11 chapters of the beginning of the book of Genesis. But we must realize that in those 11 chapters, over 2,000 years of time occur. God in His wisdom is able to succinctly tell us all those details that we need to know of 2,000 years of history in just 11 chapters. And it is after this point of confusion that we now start to see Jesus Christ. And God will now use over the next 2,300 years of time before Christ enters the world. And today I want us to look at the means by which Christ came, the details by which Christ came, and the purpose for which Christ came. So let us begin by looking at the means by which Jesus Christ came. And it's literally described in your entire Old Testament. Today's message is basically from Genesis 12 to the end of the, the Old Testament. We're not going to read it all. You're good, all right? Everything leading us to God. Everything is setting up God the Son coming to earth. Each step along the way, God giving opportunity for people to seek and to follow Him. After the confusion of the Tower of Babel, God systematically begins pointing man toward Him. He uses His words. He uses His pictures. He uses types. He uses uh, different prophets to do this. And quickly after Babel, God starts giving this example. And He starts it with, by coming to a man named Abraham. Abraham, by faith, began to follow the Lord. And God declared to him, And in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. And then God makes a covenant that you see up there on the screen with Abraham. And he says this to him, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in these shall all families of the earth be blessed. Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. Then as you go two chapters, three chapters later to Genesis 15, the Lord adds to this covenant. And He spells out the land that was given to Abraham and his descendants forever. Forever. This covenant was then confirmed to Abraham's son, Isaac. Then Isaac's youngest son, Jacob, who is renamed by the Lord Israel. 
And then Jacob's 12 sons and their descendants as they become the nation of Israel. Now, this isn't part of the sermon, but I think it is critical to what we face today, so I'm going to share this. That covenant, this is why we as Christians are to support Israel. They are God's chosen people. Even if they have not accepted their true Messiah of Jesus Christ yet, it will happen. The book of Revelation tells us it will happen. And we are supposed to support them for the reason of, of that, that they are God's chosen people, but we are also supposed to, yeah, I can speak today, we are also supposed to support them because it is for our own good. I will bless them that bless, bless them and curse those that curse. I think I want to be on the blessing side of that. And God will bless those that bless Israel. If we do not, as a nation, we'll become the next Britain. Because Britain turned their back on Israel. And their empire imploded. We are not to play into the hands of the media of how unfair it is for Israel to be in their nation on the land that God gave them. The land that was given to Abraham and his descendants by God over 4,000 years ago. Forever. And yes, that means that that land was taken from somebody else from other people. We're told that God gave the inhabitants of the land 400 years to return to Him, to turn from their wickedness, and instead of turning to Him, they turned toward their wickedness and became even more corrupt. And the Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 24, verse 13, He plainly says to Israel, And I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you built not, and ye dwell in them, of the vineyards and the olive yards which ye planted not, do ye eat. Yes, they were, it was someone else's land. But God said, this is the land I'm giving you forever. And it is theirs. And Friendship Baptist Church is a church that follows the teaching of the Bible. We have full faith in what God has promised, and we trust in the principles that He has laid out for us and how we are to live our lives. Therefore, as we read the Word of God, we believe Israel, they are God's chosen people, and we will support them as a nation. People have asked if we're going to give toward them. I'm still looking into a credible source on that, and I will let you know. But let's get back to our sermon now, all right? So God begins with Abraham and his family for the purpose of being beacons of the Lord. He calls this chosen group of people out, not just to make them special, but because they're to be the beacon of him to the rest of the world, to point them to God, to point them for the Messiah that's going to be coming. And the Lord takes this, this group of people that was a slave nation, and he pulls them out of Egypt in a very dramatic fashion, to get the attention of the rest of the world. Then through Exodus, through the book of Deuteronomy, God forms them into more than a group of people. He makes them a nation. And He gives them, through Moses, the law of God. They, make, <clears throat> they as a nation make a covenant with God. They promise to follow the law of God. And they were there to be a priesthood to the rest of the world. 
Sounds similar to us today, right? As Christians, to be that priesthood to the rest of the world. They were supposed to be a priesthood, and they were, by following the law, they were to represent God to man and man to God. That's what a priest's role is. And they were set up as a peculiar people. They were peculiar in how they dressed. They were peculiar in how they ate. They were peculiar in how their morals and how they lived out their lives. The way God would have people to live their lives. All pointing people to faith in God and the future Messiah. And as we saw months ago, much of the law was a picture of the future fulfillment of the Messiah as we looked at the offerings. And we, each one of those pointing us to the Messiah the need for salvation, the need for our sins to not be covered, but to be washed away. And these people knew no longer just covering through the sacrifice of animals, but the eventual washing away. Galatians 3.24, Paul calls the law our schoolmaster. He says, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. Why? To bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And so the means by which Christ came happened slowly, slowly through the nation of Israel, making it ever so apparent with each generation that placed their faith in God that there needed to be a final Savior. The sacrifice of animals was not enough. It just covered. It just covered. And they knew they needed their sin washed away. And the law simply made them yearn for a final solution to the sin problem. A final solution. It's very similar to us today. Each and every one of us, is when we watch the news, we yearn for true justice to occur. Do we not? God has placed in our mind and our hearts a knowledge that there is one day going to be true justice at the judgment. And just as that, that these people were looking, they knew there had to be a true solution for the sin in their life. And so it was those under the law. We see the means by which Christ came, and now we see the details by which Christ came. Within the nation of Israel, we begin to see the details that brought Christ to us. It begins with the calling out of Abraham. It then goes to the promised son, Isaac, then goes to Isaac's youngest son, Jacob, and then it goes even further. Genesis 49.8, he takes from within the 12 sons of, of, uh, of Israel now to the tribe of Judah. Centuries go by. Centuries go by and they become a nation. And then they conquer the land that was promised to them. Then after the time of Judges, a kingdom is established. And it is at this point within the tribe of... So we have Abraham. We then have Jacob. Then we have one of his sons, Judah. And now within Judah, the tribe of Judah, we have one specific family, King David. The lineage of David is selected. And the promised Messiah would come and lead his people. From that point, God inspired the prophets to add even more details. Isaiah 7.14 tells us that, a, that he would be born of a virgin. He would be a man called Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He would come as a child, but he would be the Son of God. And this brings us to our most important point today as we look at this, the purpose for which Christ came. Read that again with me in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. Back to that a while. Thank you, sir. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Wait. What, what did we just read there? This promised Messiah was not just going to be a man that was going to come and liberate a nation or, or a great leader. The Messiah was literally going to be God the Son. God with us. The problem of sin could never be taken away, never be taken care of by a simple man. Centuries of trying had proved that. Everyone from Moses to Joshua to Samuel to Gideon and David and Solomon and Elijah and Elisha and any other great figure of the Old Testament you can think of. On and on and on it went. But for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For there is none righteous, no, not one. And the final fulfillment of the words spoken by the Lord to Adam and Eve after their corruption, He said, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The Savior needed to break the curse of sin. And He arrived in the form of a baby. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And in Jesus' own words, as we read at the beginning out of Isaiah chapter 61, He tells us His purpose. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. We are captive in our sin. The recovering of sight to the blind we are blind to our sin. To set at liberty them that are bruised, the punishment of sin, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he ended it in verse 21 by saying, this day is this Scripture fulfilled in your ears. Our Lord and Savior had finally arrived. And it wasn't just a general man that could lead and would die in his own sin. No, God the Father sent His only Son. And He tells us, Jesus clearly says later, He says, for the Son of Man has come to what? Seek and to save us. That which was lost. In a month and a half from now, we're going to get back to the story of the manger. And we'll look at all that during Christmas time. But today, we must look at God's eternal plan. God's creation gave you and I free will. And man chose to follow sin, and we fell. But in his love, he created us. And further, now we see in his love, he created a way of redemption for us to return to him. That is true love. He seeks to us to be with us. And next week, we'll look at the purpose of Christ coming in His crucifixion. But today, I want you to realize that since man sinned, we have been trying it on our own. You might be that way today. 
You've been trying and doing everything you can to live your life the way you think will be best and to help you in every way, and yet everything just seems to be just falling short because it is, because you can't in your own way. We are sinful beings. And it is only through salvation in Jesus Christ can we learn the way that can separate us from that sin. And that's why God sent Him. He created a way of redemption for us. It failed over and over and over again for the people that we read about in the Word of God. And many of them were more talented than us and more intelligent than us. And yet they failed at it as well. It is this inability to pull ourselves out of our sin that Christ came. And in the sweeping view of history that we've looked out, see yourself. You are one piece in this history. To most people, we are just a blip on the radar of time and then gone. But God saw you. And He says, you are a person of worth and I love you, and I'm going to do something about this. And He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. Without Him, we will fail in every way. For the person that is still in their sin, you need Christ as your Savior. Christ is the only means of salvation. Stop pursuing whatever you are to try to do that is a pointless pursuit and humble yourself before Jesus Christ. Call out to Him for salvation and He will. Believe in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and He will save you. For us that are Christians here today, and that's most of us here, I understand that, Christ is our Savior to follow as well. Leanne and I have been talking a lot about faith and trust. I think it's going with her lesson for the ladies this week. And by faith, believe that His words are true. The words that you read in the Word of God, by faith, believe His words are true. This is not a book of stories. And don't teach your children that way. This is a book of accounts that lead us every step on the way towards a Savior. And by faith, we need to believe it. And by believing in it, then we need to trust, meaning following those words in our actions, in our worldview. Our faith and our trust in the Lord and His Word should guide literally everyday decisions of our life. It should guide, it should be the compass that leads us on the way. Thy Word is a lamp unto our, to our feet and a light unto our path, Right? That's what it's supposed to be. As was mentioned, Brother Jim taught to the widows yesterday, to live is Christ. Realize the significance of God coming to earth to live among us. To give us the example of how to live. And now through salvation, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can follow that example. Are you doing that? Are you allowing the Lord to lead you? To guide you? Christ came, God with us. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for those in attendance today. And I ask you to just convict those that don't know Christ as their Savior, that they would humble themselves before you. They would believe in you, accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. For us as Christians, that we would both allow our faith and our trust in you to guide our daily life, that it would just not be 
something we learn about and speak about at Christmas time. But dear Heavenly Father, this would be the guiding step of our life. Be with us now, dear Heavenly Father. As we come to this time of invitation, we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.